0: I want you to do awesome so I can learn from you, (laughs) you know? So the more people that we surround ourselves with that are just crushing it, the more we, we can learn from them and make it our own. The person that I admired the most in life trying to kill me, that was devastating.
1: I have to assume that at some point in time, you were like, I have to deal with this shit.
0: Once I became a lawyer, I felt like, look, now I got to get myself better.
1: Because success lies in the balance of life and law, we're here to help you tip the scales. We get personal about what it really takes to run a law firm. From marketing to manifestation. I'm Maria Monroy, co-founder and president of LawRank, a leading SEO agency for ambitious law firms. Irving Pedroza has litigated hundreds of cases and recovered millions for his injured clients, but beyond the success and relentless fight, he's a good human. He's one who lifts others up and has built a successful practice in the process. We came together to discuss recovering from betrayal, lifting up everyone around you, how sharing trauma heals both the storyteller and the listener, helping people feel less broken, and how in the face of adversity, Who we choose to be, because it is a choice, can shape a better world. Irving has experienced extreme adversity and has incredible strength. This is where he gets it from.
0: I would be nothing without my mom. My mom's encouragement. I think it was her, and I also have a younger sister. I always thought to myself, it's like, I have to do it. I have to keep going because number one of my, my, my mom's uh, pain and struggle, it, it, it's almost like one of those things where it's like I wanted to make the pain worth it. And as far as my sister, I wanted her to have someone who she could look up to and be proud of. Yeah, I think those are two things that constantly kept were, were in my mind about why I had to keep going.
1: From an early age or once you were an adult?
0: From a very young age of everything we were going through, I I think I realized that it was going to have to be me. Like there was no one else that could do it and there was no one else that would do it. It, It's like one of those things where it's like, fortunately, I realized early on that I needed to and um, unfortunately I had to. So...
1: Can you share with us some of those struggles and what your life was growing up? Because I think I'm a big believer that our childhood really shapes us.
0: In a way, I always had right people around me, you know, Um, but I basically, I was born in Mexico, as I know you were. I was born in, in Guerrero, Mexico, which is a very poor town. It has a lot of violence, unfortunately, not only the state, but also you know, the part I'm from, I think we had, you know, a population of maybe three, 3,000 people, but grew uh, we up super poor, had a bunch of domestic violence in my family. Then we were brought here when I was uh, six years old and same thing happened. You know, we were again, super poor. We were brought undocumented, unfortunately. So was I. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, uh,
1: and then you can't go back. And it's so traumatizing. At least for me, it was so difficult to not be able to go back for a long time.
0: To be honest with you, I was I was in shock because I didn't know how to speak English. And my mom, she didn't know English. And when we came, when we came here, my father was abusive, but we had nowhere to go, nowhere else to go. Like you said, we couldn't go back. But even here, we didn't have very many options because... We were poor and we were undocumented.
1: Same here. I think everybody, I mean, some people might assume that I come for money, but I don't. So we, same exact story. And I had um, a level of domestic violence as well. I don't think we've ever talked about it. Probably not what you went through, but I think it, in Mexico, it's, it's at least it was, and I think it still is to some extent, very much okay to hit children. It's just part of the culture Again, I think that there are different um, levels of that. I don't think mine was super extreme or anything like that. I think from what I've read about you, yours was much more extreme. But I do think part of it, and I'm not saying that this is okay, because it's absolutely not okay, but it is cultural, right? And then you get here and your support system is gone. You've been stripped of that.
0: Right. No, you're absolutely right. It is cultural. It, it unfortunately happens a lot more in Mexico and it's, it's accepted. And so, yeah, you're, you're right. You still have the same struggles, plus you add a few more, right? Like you still, like I remember, I still, we were still really poor. We were still, you know, going through violence. But now you add a different language. You add a lack of support system. You add a, and basically culture shock. You know, I remember the first meal I had. It was Burger King. And I ended up throwing up. <laughs> you know, like no I, way. I did it. Yeah, yeah, I literally my my mom tells a story. I just didn't want to eat any food because like my first experience was Burger King. And I threw up. You know, <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. You add all sorts of different obstacles to what you already grew up with. And then once we were here, I have an older brother who um, would encourage me. Uh, to some degree, right? Like, and so we, we, me and him were adjusting. Okay, we're, our age difference is maybe three years old. And he literally would encourage me to study. He would encourage me to do, you know, well, right? Like, and he was basically, in a way, my protector, my guide. And I remember I knew how to do multiplication by seven, long division. I ended up doing algebra before, you know, I was eight. Um, and it was all through him. And I I don't know if if you experienced this, but for him, he was, not only was he smart, but he was also advanced in what they were learning because I don't know if it's any longer the case, but back then, I think Mexico, what you learn in Mexico is faster than what you learn here. And, and again, I don't know if that's the case anymore. Were you
1: in a private school in Mexico? No. That's so interesting. So I always thought I had the same experience. I actually skipped third and fourth grade, not because of any, it was an age thing. So my school in Mexico held me back a year. We moved to the U.S. I had just started third grade and my parents held me back a year. They just kept me home for a year, which was an awful, awful, awful year. Because I didn't speak the language and they would make me watch Inglés sin Barreras, which wasn't doing anything at all. Which funny story, later I found out that my husband did a commercial for Inglés sin Barreras. So I'm like, wow, I probably watched it at some point. That is so weird. And I started fifth grade. So I, because of that one year and it was like an age thing, I didn't speak any English. Inglés Invaleras did not work. (laughs) Biggest scam in the world. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, But they would give me math problems and they were the easiest thing in the world. I was so advanced in math. It was absurd. And I assumed it was because it was a private school that I was in. But if you had the same experience, then that's scary.
0: I think if I'm not mistaken, they're advanced one or two years in terms of what they taught.
1: That's scary to think, though, that a third world country, which I'm in right now, by the way, is that much more advanced, especially a public school, which in Mexico, public schools are supposed to be not very good. I mean, no no offense or anything. They're just, it's a known thing that they're not there. And to think that they're better than the public school system in the U.S., that's kind of scary.
0: Right. So yeah, me and him were adjusting. Like I remember his first year, he took every award possible. I took every award possible, and we didn't even know English yet. So like,
1: that's crazy.
0: And then second year started basically about the same. And then around the like middle of his second or our second year here, he was in fifth grade. I was in second. He just started to change just drastically. So. He was, the change was he was eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia. So that completely changed the person he was, the person he is. It changed his behavior or like just completely different. It went from a person that would teach me things and would literally like cook for me at, at a young age, would show me, you know, like would encourage me constantly even though we were going through struggles, he would always encourage me and tell me, he's like, you know, we're gonna get over this through education. We're gonna survive this. Don't worry, we got this kind of thing to a person where it was unrecognizable. Um, even like, as we grew older, like he would try to kill me a few times. One time he almost choked me to death, almost stabbed me a couple of times, knocked me unconscious a couple other times. It was just, you know, all sorts of things, all sorts of issues. That he went through, he even got lost at some point where we literally had a whole uh, police search party looking for him. It changed dramatically, you know um and I think that added to the all sorts of other problems we were going through
1: that must have been incredibly difficult. The person that you trusted the most all of a sudden was betraying you. How do you get over that
0: uh that's that's a good question um
1: if, but you you post a lot of awesome things and you know that I'm like the first time I met you I was like I am a fan and like I agree with most of the things that you post if not if not all but I have to imagine that that felt like the biggest betrayal.
0: It did because like like you said it it was one of those things where it's like I was already used to not, in a sense, not having a father figure. Like, you know, I was, I, I was used to it. I, I had accepted it. I had moved on. I was like, I don't need him. Who cares? Right. But with him, it was like, damn, like what now? You know, like, what do I, what do I do now? And in a sense, that's where I kind of relied back on what I felt about my, my mom and my little sister. Right. And even to this day, I, I can tell you, it was, it was kind of like an ongoing battle. But the one thing that always comes back to mind, John Forbes and was a mathematician, I forget what war, but I think it was World War II, he came up with game theory. And he came up with game theory around the age of 24 or something like that. And then after that, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. So he was schizophrenic from late 20s to maybe 60. Around the age of 60, he just stopped being schizophrenic. And they asked him, they're like, why? They gave him the Nobel Peace Prize after, right, for what he did back in his 20s. And they asked him, I was like, how did you stop being schizophrenic? And he says, my, my brain just told me to stop. It, it just told me that it was time, that I, I no longer needed that, and so when I learned, that's, uh, I'm sure you guys, you've, you've seen, or I'm sure you've heard the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect was made after this guy.
1: I have not. What is the, butter, or I don't recall. What is it?
0: It's a movie. It's a, uh, oh Austin. yes. Yes. <laughs> so basically when I learned about this guy, and this was not when I was growing up, this was probably, I was probably in law school when I learned about it, um, or somewhere around there, but basically It finally articulated what what always happened in my mind, right? In my mind, I always thought, what would happen if at some point my brother got better, right? What would happen if he, you know, we were like 60-something and he got better. And he were to look at me and ask me, Irving, you had every opportunity I never had. You had every chance I never did, you had everything that was taken away from me, not by anyone, but by faith. What did you do with it? What did you do as a son, as a brother, as a professional, as a human, right? And my biggest fear in life is to not have anything to say, you know, or to disappoint him, or to say eh. I did okay. Or to just be like, you know, I, I, I couldn't do much after you were done, you know, or after you were diagnosed and, and, and you changed, that would be the biggest fear in my life. Right. Like I don't fear anything else. That's what I fear. And so in a way that has always motivated me. I'm like, I may not be good at something, but if I want it, I'm going to try my hardest to to get better at it, you know, because of that same feeling.
1: Where's your brother now? He's with my mom. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I thought he had passed the way you do the posts. You're just, you're talking about you miss your old brother, like the way he was before he became. The way he was. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't understand that.
0: Yeah. So because it's, it's completely different. Like I told you, it was like someone I would look up to even to this day. I could tell you, I, you know how you can tell like some people are really, really smart. Like he, he even to this day, I could tell you he's probably top five, the smartest per, a person I've ever met. And obviously I've met a ton of smart people, you know, and I know a ton of smart people. And he was by far, he still, I could, I would still bet that he would be, you know, he would be very successful, whatever he ended up choosing to do. But yeah, that's the reason I think about what he used to be versus what he is now. And, and don't get me wrong, what he is now—he's a—he's a stable person. He's a good person, caring person. But within thirty seconds of you having a conversation with him, you could tell that he's not—he's not okay. You know. So.
1: And how old was he when he was diagnosed? He
0: was twelve.
1: Oh wow, he was little. And you were very little. So that must have been really... Because as an adult, it's much easier to comprehend, okay, it's not me, right? But how did you comprehend that at nine?
0: Right. Trust me, it was it was one of those things where it's like, it was almost by by necessity, right? Because like, at some point, my mom was too busy with my little sister, my schizophrenic brother, her own struggles with my father, Being poor, being poor AF to where it's like, what else am I, you know, first of all, no one's paying attention to me. (laughs) Uh, But so
1: many people, oh, I don't want to say so many people. I I guess I don't know that. I think a lot of people would have turned to drugs or alcohol or crime and you didn't. I mean, you literally are the American dream.
0: I, I think in a way it's because I kind of grew up. (laughs) surrounded by it because...
1: By the American dream?
0: No, sorry. Well, thank you for that. No, I meant like by drugs, alcohol, gangs. I I grew up in that environment uh, around. I can tell you I had no friends that ended up in jail. I know my own father ended up in jail for that matter. I know friends that sold drugs, did drugs, drank from an early age. And for me, it was like almost the opposite. (laughs) It was like, I see it so much, I don't want to be a part of it. And again, I, this is where I go back to me completely thanking my mother because I think she gave me enough love early on to where I knew she would always be there for me. But also she, almost by default, she gave me like freedom to create my own ideas, create my own thoughts. So I never really went into the drug scene, never got into gangs because I was like, number one, what I told you about my brother. Number two, my mom does care about me, even though all these struggles are going on. I don't need any of this. And in my head, I always kept in mind what my brother would tell me. The only way we can overcome this is through education. And so I knew, like, trust me, I went I went off the rails a little bit in high school. like. I remember I I probably slept through every class, people, you know, like my classmates still make fun of me for that, or my friends at the time. And I I stopped caring for a long time. Like I didn't really care what I did, but I never, never got so bad that it would destroy my ability to go to college or my ability to go to law school. I was falling asleep in every class, but thankfully every class was advanced, advanced placement classes. So they were still rated higher than the regular classes. I didn't remember I played poker in my calculus class, right? But I was in calculus. <laughs> so at some point, you know, like the professors or the teachers, like, they'll just give me a C just because I am there. And I, I knew stuff like that, right? Like, and I took advantage of it. And I never got off the rails enough to where it jeopardized me going to college. And I knew that somehow I knew that, you know?
1: And what made you decide to go to law school?
0: Always feeling helpless. Always in a way of everything, like what I've told you, domestic violence, poverty, undocumented. My father ended up in jail. At some point, my brother ended up in jail. I always felt like I could never do anything, right? Like I always felt like no matter what I know, no matter what I think, I can't do anything about it. And I always tell this to people and like, it's kind of funny, but like, I don't know if you ever watched The Fresh Prince of Air*. I did. Okay. Remember Uncle Phil? Uncle Phil was a lawyer that always wanted to protect his family and cared about his family. Right. And like, it was kind of a combination. So I always thought to myself, it's like, what? what is something? I'm telling you.
1: So Fresh Prince, that, like, that was the motivation?
0: It was part of it, for sure. That's
1: That's amazing. I love it. Because back then, I feel like, there was like nothing to do, like compared to like, my kids have like so many options. And back then it was like, you just weren't exposed. There was no internet. So the exposure was minimal. How old are you? 34. Okay. Yeah. So definitely minimal exposure. A couple TV shows. Right. En inglés en barreras.
0: <laughs> en inglés. Well, I... <laughs> I watched a bunch of, like, cantinflas um, and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. No, no, El Chavo no Locho. Like, El Chavo Locho. Yeah, yeah me do. too. Yeah. All that stuff. But, yeah, like, it was kind of like, you're going. I'm going through all the, these things, and you're right. There's, like, one or two TV shows, one of them, Fresh Prince. And, you know, it made sense to me. It's like, what what can I do that, you know, I won't ha- have a helpless feeling anymore, that if my family ever needs help, I'm there, and in a sense, lawyering made sense, you know? So that's why I decided to go to law school.
1: And let's talk about your career. You made partner at a firm when all odds were against you in general, right? So can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: I love what I do. Like, no matter where, you know, where and what, I would still keep doing it. And I always think to myself, like, if you love what you do, you're going to be good at it no matter what, you know, like, because it takes time to be good. uh, It takes commitment and it takes a whole lot of hard work. I I mean, I'm sure you know that, you know, so it's one of those. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes, but I agree. You have to love what you do. I mean, I'm so grateful. And I think you talk about gratitude. I think that a lot of people really miss the boat on that one. Like just being grateful for, if, even if you want change, you have to be grateful for where you are today.
0: Right. No, absolutely. I've been like one of the luckiest, one of the most blessed, whatever way you want to look at it, persons I know, just because I always had the right people around, you know, in, in my in my path that either motivated me or inspired me or, you know, showed me the right way to go about something, you know, and... So, you know, like, I'm super grateful. I'm super grateful for the people around me and the people that I've I've learned from. And even now, like, I always tell people, it's like, I want you to do awesome so I can learn from you, (laughs) you know? So the more people that we surround ourselves with that are just crushing it, the more we, we can learn from them and make it our own, so.
1: Oh, absolutely. I always think it's funny when people are jealous. I think it's important to sit with that for a second And kind of almost manipulate it because jealousy is actually a good thing because it's showing you what you want and it's showing you that somebody's accomplishing it and that it can be done. And I think it's also super important to surround ourselves with successful people. They say that we are the average of the top five people we hang out with.
0: It's hard not to get into it, right? It's hard not to want to do good things or better things or, uh, improve yourself. If like, like you said, like you're constantly around it. And that's why even like, as far as like my Instagram stories, I want to focus on that. I don't want to focus on other things. First of all, I wouldn't even be able to focus on other things. Whenever people tell me what's on TV, I'm like, I don't know. I don't watch TV. I think you told me that too. I wouldn't even know what to talk about.
1: I do, but very, I have rules that I don't watch TV during the week. I break them sometimes, but I don't, well, right now it's a shit show with my kids, but typically we don't let them watch TV during the week. And a few years ago, my oldest came into the room and he was like, why do you get to watch TV? It was bedtime. And he was like, why are you watching TV? And I was like, okay, I'm a total hypocrite. And I stopped and I realized that my sleep got better. I was in a better mood the next day. And I just don't think it's healthy. And I can go weeks without, watching it. And I'm very selective about what I watch, not the content per se. Like I watch Handmaid's Tale, which is probably like the worst thing you can watch, but I'm careful. Like I am picky. It has to be like amazing for me to watch it. I
0: mean, I think I I do, I do acknowledge that it's easier when you're single and without kids. (laughs) So,
1: so in your bio, you say that you've dedicated your life to helping people feel less broken. Can you tell me about that?
0: It took a while to get to a point where I was comfortable sharing, you know, just about myself and, and about my, my self-growth. But once I got there, I was like, uh, I started realizing that everyone goes through their own hell. You can't measure what you go through with someone else. To you, whatever you're going through, it's hell, right? Like, And so I, I realized that by speaking with other people, for example, with, with Power Mentor, I started doing like uh, speaking presentations. I also at some point became like a professor and I was uh, teaching master students. And in my head, I thought master students are like, you know, most of them have it together.
1: Nobody has it together. That's a secret. Nobody. And
0: and so exactly what I realized is like by sharing, you know, some of my, some of my, my own stories, like people would come up to me and say like, that's, you know, just listening to you helped me a lot. So it, it kind of became one of those things where it's like the more people tell me that it, it's helped them, the more I want to do it to continue to help people. You know, like I remember recently, actually, I, I got invited to an admitted students for USD Law School.
1: My husband went there.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. And then he he transferred to UCLA, but he he went there. And all of my best friends went to USD for undergrad. And you didn't. <laughs> I didn't go to college. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, no. I don't think anybody knows that. I did not. A lot of people think I went to, well, people in San Diego, everyone thinks I went to USD because I went to every single USD party. That's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't, no, I didn't finish college.
0: Well, I didn't even go to USD, but they, they invite me to other uh, events, especially at law school. But so I, there was an admitted law student's reception and one of the lost one of the admit, newly admitted students came up to me and said, "Irving, like you spoke at an event like years ago, and you inspired me to go to law school based on hearing your story. And, and basically, you know, you you showed me that I could do it. That I, I you know, I, I was putting a bunch of excuses in my head. And after hearing you speak, I realized I need to make those reasons, not excuses. You know, and." things like that, right? Like they, they motivate me, they inspire me. And as much as I inspire, maybe I inspired him to actually like get into law school, apply and, and do all those things. Just li- listening to stories like that, that encourages me and tells me, look, I'm not out to left field, what I am saying is helping others. And that's why I continue to do it. And I do that, you know, just on the regular basis as to who I am, but also If you think about it as a lawyer, you know, we we help people who are in unfortunate situations and you know we we help them get better. So
1: yeah, one of the reasons I love following you on social is because I don't think people post about this stuff enough in the legal space. I remember when it wasn't even cool to read a self-help book. It was like considered like just not cool. Now I think in like in general, it's accepted and self-advancement is a thing. But I think in the legal space, it's just these things are not talked about enough. And we all know that lawyers don't have the best habits. And, you know, there's a lot of alcoholism and just a lot of things. And it's it's a very stressful environment. So I think it's really refreshing and I think it's very brave of you to do what most people are not doing and what most people are not posting about.
0: I'm asking my clients to be brutally honest with, with ourselves, with me, with, about themselves, about what they're going through. It's like, why am I not doing the same? You know, why am I in, in a way I think about it is like I pride myself in being the same person in all aspects of my life. You know, I'm the same person as a lawyer. I'm the same person as a son. I'm the same person in, in no matter what capacity you meet me. So why am I going to hide who I am? Why am I going to, you know, and it, it, don't get me wrong. It took a while, you know, it took a while to get there. Part of it, I do it for others, but I, part of it, I do it for me. You know, the more I talk, and you should. Right? the more you should sh- do it for you, right? The more I talk about it, the more I, I learn, the more I'm comfortable with it, the more I'm free to, to say it, you know, like for the longest time in, in high school, I can tell you even my closest friends didn't even know I had a brother, you know, because, as a high school kid like I was ashamed to say yeah my brother beats me up yeah my brother is schizophrenic yeah you know he ended up in jail you know um, I was terrified of that I was terrified to be judged or I was terrified to be called you know whatever names so it does take a while you know and it it, it does take a lot of acceptance but now, It's one of those things like now here I am, you know. So
1: my mindset coach says that life is always working for you, even when you think it's it isn't. And I would argue that, and I don't know if you agree with this, but all of the adversity that you faced, I mean it made you who you are today and it's in a way motivated you to get here.
0: No, absolutely. I I think it's key, right? Like I, I think for everyone it teaches us things, right? Like every adversity that we encounter, you you either let it defeat you or you learn from it. So,
1: Absolutely. Sometimes I worry that my kids don't have enough adversity, which is why I took them to a third world country.
0: (laughs) Is that the reason?
1: (laughs) No, no, it's not. That's a joke. But I I do worry about it because, you know, I didn't grow up with money. I didn't go anywhere. I literally went from Guadalajara to San Diego and... The next time I got on a plane was to go right back to Guadalajara. I mean, I grew up in a household that, you know, was somewhat toxic. And sometimes I worry. I'm like, they don't have any adversity. Like, you know, I, I guess. But like you said, I think everybody has their own struggles, right? It's your perception of things. I'm sure they'll they'll learn from you know, I don't know what, what whatever it is the world throws at them.
0: I think you're right though. Like if you if you even though you didn't do moved to Mexico for that reason. I think seeing other people like less fortunate, like gives us a different sense, right? Like even now I can tell you what I try to do and I've been so busy lately that I haven't been able to, but I try to go to Tijuana orphanages, right? Like I could go to like orphanage anywhere else, but Tijuana is a whole different world. And like the reason I I really like going there is just because like kids there, you can take them gifts, you can take them clothes, but it's it's more than anything, what they value the most is you spending an hour or two with them. And to them, it's like magical, right? To you, it's just like an hour or two. But to them, you see it in their eyes. You see it in their, like the way they hug you, the way they talk to you. And it's it's super inspiring. And at the same time, it kind of brings you back to a feeling of like, holy shit, like I I am blessed. I am I am having an okay life. Like I have nothing to complain about. There's people that are having it way worse. Absolutely. Just like we don't get to choose our parents, they never even got to choose their parents and even to this day they're struggling. So I that's something that I've tried to do and I try to do as much as I can to kind of go back and be like, Look, they're still suffering. Just because I'm not there anymore, that doesn't mean it it stopped existing, you know, like even where I'm from, even in Escondido, the reason I still do a lot of presentations in Escondido, even though I'm no longer there, I know there's still suffering. There's still people in the streets. There's still people fighting domestic violence. There's still, you know, people fighting mental health issues.
1: What advice would you have for those people?
0: I think it depends. I think it depends on where they are in their life, number one, but at all, number two, it also depends on what struggle, right? Because like everyone, and, and you, even me, if I, if I think back on it, every little struggle created a different reaction from me. And in order to heal, like every little struggle created something different. So for example, the most painful thing for me was my brother trying to kill me. And it wasn't, at some point it was very painful physically. I remember I ended up in the hospital unconscious. I think I woke up three days later or some, some something crazy like that. And I remember how it started. Like basically we were watching TV. I, I, get, I caught his attention because we lived in a, an apartment and it was a small apartment and he was putting music volume really high to where I know the neighbors would be angry. And so basically he just stops, turns around. I was sitting on a sofa, turns around, kicks me, kicks my head, and then like gets on top of me and like just starts pounding my head. I think I was 17 and he was 20 at the time. And I remember the only one's home at that time was my, my little sister who was 12 at the time. She comes out of her room and basically says, do you want me to call the cops? I said no. Because in my head, even though I was getting pounded, like in my head, all you could think of was like, if she calls the cops, that's it. Like they're taking us away. I, I'm underage. My sister's underage. My brother's schizophrenic. Fortunately, I think she ended up calling cops. Um, sure enough, my sister was taken away by the government. And uh, I ended up in the hospital, woke up like three days later.
1: Wait, and she was put into the foster system? Yeah, yeah. For how long?
0: I don't remember exactly the time. I just remember my mom had to prove that my brother was like somewhere else. That's how they finally gave back my sister. I remember because I think I remember graduating from high school was very painful because I got to see my sister maybe for half an hour. I just do remember it was anywhere between six months and maybe a year.
1: That must have been so difficult. It was. Especially on your mom.
0: Yeah, I can tell you. For me, the physical pain, it goes away. The physical pain, I've endured it. I've had it. I've had way worse. And, but the emotional pain of like my brother, my hero, the person that I admired the most in life, trying to kill me, that was devastating. Like it, it took a long time to kind of like, I don't even want to say accept it, but control it so if someone was to ask me is like how do you overcome pain i'm like i don't know you just hold on to something you care about the most and you hope you know you kind of battle through it like again in my head i'm like okay if so it's not if, if it's not my my brother it's my little sister so i gotta show her that you know everything's okay as i'm I, the reason i brought up that story is as i'm like reliving like the memories the only thing that I could think about in my head is like, I want to smile for my sister. I don't want her to freak out. I don't want her to think that I'm in trouble, that, that, you know, we're in danger. We were, like I was, but like...
1: I know, yeah, you definitely were, yes.
0: But like, I didn't want her to think that, you know, and like, because I know what pain is. And I know that if if I can do anything to have her avoid any pain... I'm going to do so. So at least that's what was going through my head at the time, uh, whether right, wrong, or whatnot.
1: How did you start the healing process? I have to assume that at some point in time, you were like, I have to deal with this shit. And what was like the first step that you took? Or was there someone that helped you? Or how did you start that?
0: I kid you not, after I became a lawyer, I think that's when the healing really started. And what I mean by that is for a lot of people, becoming a lawyer is a goal, right? Like I'm going to become a lawyer. To me, it wasn't a goal. It was a destination. It wasn't an option. It was something I had to do. So once I became a lawyer, I felt like, look, I'm finally in a playing field with everyone else. If I'm finally in a playing field, now I got to get myself better, right? Um, And I remember as you know, I read a lot and I remember one of the books that helped me the most is The Roadless Traveled by Scott Peck. And I I think the very first page in that book literally says, Life is difficult. Once you accept that, you can move on, right? And so that literally hit me hard, right? I was like, Okay, I gotta accept life is difficult, right? And you close
1: the book. You're like, all right. <laughs> no, right. Absolutely. I need to sit with this for an hour or two.
0: Because it's true. Like, if you think about it, like for everyone, everyone is different. But once you accept it, you can stop, you know, blaming others. You can stop trying to figure out why you, why you.
1: Do you still think life is difficult?
0: Absolutely. Life will always be difficult.
1: I don't think life is difficult. And my mindset coach would try to get you to change that. Because he would say that as long as you think life is difficult, life will continue to be difficult. And it is something you learned from childhood because life was difficult.
0: I need your mindset to coach then.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have him come on the podcast soon. So, yeah. But I think my childhood was difficult. I definitely do not think that life is difficult anymore. I love life.
0: I love life too. I think in a way, Life isn't as difficult as it used to be, but life will always be difficult. And the reason I think about it th- like this is like, what happens if tomorrow some adversity happens, right? Knocking on wood. Like I would never, right? Like, Don't
1: worry about that yet. Right. It, but Right now, life is...
0: Life is good. Life is always good. And, you know, but in, in a way, I'm not worried. Trust me. The last thing I worry about is like what hasn't happened. At least I've learned that, right? Like the way I think about it is like, look, I think life in general is difficult. I don't think my life right now is difficult. It has it's stressors. I'm a big believer is like you you create your own reality. So I don't I try not to
1: Which is why I'm telling you not to think that life is difficult.
0: Well, I generally I just say that. But yeah, you're right. Like I don't I don't think about, you know, what could go wrong. I just think about everything that could go right, right? And like the more positive on my mind is, the more positive stuff happens. I do agree with that.
1: I think you and I agree on a lot of things that you, I think, have much more time to implement and I don't implement as much as i like.
0: I think that's probably the lack of kids part.
1: (laughs) Yes, I agree. (laughs) Definitely. Now, what do you wish you had learned in law school?
0: (laughs) Everything. I, I think the business side of it, you know, the business side of it uh, and the networking part of it that is crucial. Like you can you can know the law, but if you don't know the business side of it, the networking part of it, even like dealing with people, you know, like you can be you could have gotten like the best grades in law school. And if you don't know how to deal with people, you're done. You're not a good lawyer, you know, like no matter what law you do.
1: Sharing your own story helps others know that they are not alone. Irving knows that everyone is going through something, and it is better when we go through it together. I loved his insight about showing up authentically when he said,
0: Why am I going to hide who I am? It took a while to get there. Part of it I do it for others, part of it I do it for me. It does take a lot of acceptance, but now it's one of those things like now here I am. you know."
1: If this conversation moved you, please share it with someone you want to see succeed and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Catch us next week on Tip the Scales with me, Maria Monroy, President and Co-Founder of LawRank. Hear how the best in the business broke out of limiting beliefs, overcame adversity, and built a thriving purpose-driven business in the process.